Attackers are only getting more proficient, so how can you proactively adapt your cybersecurity strategy? Core Security by Fortra helps you uncover and prioritize the risks that pose the biggest threat to your organization. Core Impact is a penetration testing tool that safely finds and exploits vulnerabilities using the same techniques as attackers. You can conduct advanced pen tests with ease using certified exploits and automation. Take your engagements further by pairing with our red teaming tools from Cobalt Strike and Outflank. Learn more at www.securityweekly.com forward slash core security. Welcome back to Enterprise Security Weekly. Don't forget to check out our library of on-demand webcasts and technical trainings at securityweekly.com forward slash on-demand. And there's a lot of cool ones in there that we did last year. Uh, and now it's time for the Enterprise Security Weekly news. It is that time. You can check out securityweekly.com forward slash ESW305 if you want to follow along as we go through the news. We don't always get through all the links, uh, but uh, I cut out a lot of stuff. A everything that gets posted to the show notes is is posted to the show notes is probably worth checking out. Uh, for everything you see there, there's at least 50% more that I've that I've cut out and just not even bothered including it. And uh, and then we won't even get through all those. So be sure you check out those notes. See what you're missing. All right. Shall we? Uh, shall we start with uh, th th this one? Was a little bit fun uh, to go through because we have a funding section, an acquisitions section, and then a defunding section this week. Ooh, I didn't those know are always fun. I called it defunding for the companies that are having trouble going out of business. It's not typically something you need a section for when you're talking about uh, security vendor uh, market trends. We could we could call it the um, the cybersecurity dumpster fire section. That's too long as a header, though. On, on <laughs> it's also too mean. <laughs> it's also way too mean. Well, uh, we could use. Uh, is there a dumpster fire emoji? That is pretty oh, mean. <laughs> It, it's super mean because, in all honesty, many of them are not dumpster fires, right? They there might be a victim of circumstance with regards to market downturn mm -hmm. or, you know, an inability to predict a couple of whale deals falling out. Like it's not always a true dumpster fire. Although, in, in looking at the list that you provided for this week, some of them one definitely of them. are dumpster fires. <laughs> one of them is a at least one of them is a dumpster fire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just don't want to be mean like universally across the board and do a dumpster fire sure. section. That would just be awful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, I wouldn't do that. Um, though I'm sure, I'm sure Gus could come up with some great graphics <laughs> if we did that as a as a uh, theme. Um, so yeah, I, I found it's it. Like, you know what we could do, Adrian? We could do crying unicorns, a unicorn tears section. Mm -hmm. Crying unicorn. Yeah, not, a unicorn not, with tears. Uh, but what if it's a zombie corn? Would we have a crying zombie corn? We could. Is, it's high potential. Redundant? Or is that redundant? <laughs> <laughs> All right, continue. <laughs> Are a zombie corn's uh, brains on the outside of his head? <laughs> and she said it with such a straight face. That's the best part. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, yeah, so I... I you know, I I think we've got a ton of these now. These uh, like we we had just been calling them. I don't know what we were calling them. There, there, there is a term 
that's more of a formal term. Uh, and, and I have to look it up every time uh, for cyber insurance companies that are basically authorized to uh, to price a policy. Uh, MGAs, is that right? Mm, I don't know. MGAs and MGUs, uh, we, we mentioned them. Uh, we, we talked about it a little bit uh, when we had uh, Heidi and uh, uh, some of the folks from Forrester on. But... Uh, but yeah, they're they're calling them insure techs now. They're, they've come up with a portmanteau, a combination of uh, insurance and tech. And yeah, the term is MGA managing general agent or MGU managing general underwriter. So I don't know if these companies qualify for that. I don't. I still don't know enough <laughs> about cyber insurance to understand if I'm using those correctly. I don't know if these are MGAs and MGUs. But uh, but yeah, they're calling them insure techs. Uh, I guess the idea is you, you get uh, even if the insurance policy isn't with the tech company, like you're getting it through the tech company. So maybe it's kind of like a neobank situation where uh, if you have an account with Chime or uh, Current or any of those neobanks out there, um, rip simple, uh, you don't actually have. You know, they're not a bank; they're a tech company. You know, so your actual account is sitting in a bank. It's an actual checking or savings account uh, at the underlying bank. They just kind of wrap this uh, the SaaS software layer. Well, it, and it's more than that, right? Like it's, you know, you're using a neobank because they don't have any fees for anything, which they don't have because they don't have any branches. So they can make all the revenue they need just off of uh, off to interest and, and stuff like that. Yeah, it's really neat to see. I mean, it, uh, you you clearly have a better grasp on how that stuff works than I do. I didn't even know those terms, but it's you know it's neat to see how combination of security technology, risk enumeration, risk quantification technologies can be used to you know more accurately create insurance that that can actually be delivered. Right? That's kind of neat to see that coming around. It's kind of like the old um, uh, the old trackers in the cars, right? The, the trackers in the cars were always said, oh, eventually you'll get, it'll lower your insurance down. And feels like that's very similar by combining the technology and the general underwriting. Yeah, and the two we're talking about here, stories number one and number three are box insurance, and uh, which I believe is a Canadian startup, yeah, Toronto-based InsureTech. And then the, the other one is a German company called uh, Baobab. Is that how you say that? Baobab? It's like like the tree. I'm not sure how to say you that. You got correctly. me on that one. Can't help you there. So, yeah, interesting trend. Um, I'm going to have to start making a list of all these because I'm pretty sure we're, we're over half a dozen and we're closer to a dozen now of these. Uh, actually, I've got the list started. Uh, I just and they're all to... micro? They're all micro in size, Adrian? And do you have any U.S. based? Yes, sure. So no, they're they're not all small. The, these two just happen to be emerging, just grabbing their seed uh, at this point. Their seed funding rounds, uh, but uh, Corvus is a is a pretty big one. Coalition is, I think, the biggest one uh, that that I would put in this insure tech category. And then uh, you've got uh, At Bay is another one that we've covered, and Alpha Secure. Maybe Ridge Global and Mitigate yeah. Cyber. I, I had more on my list than I thought I had. That's a pretty pretty healthy list. The market's clearly forming. 
Also, resilience, I think, is uh, is one also. So I'm I'm going to have to go through this list, and and I suspect within this list there there might be several categories, and, and maybe these aren't uh, uh, directly com- all directly comparable. But uh, but yeah, it's it definitely something to dive into a bit deeper. You know, maybe we can uh, if there's maybe we can find some VCs, some some folks that are actually investing in this space to to come on and. Get interviewed and explain it to us a bit more. All right. Um, see the uh, story number two. The only reason I included this, there's a lot of Web three stuff I just leave out because it's just noise to me personally. But um, this is one of the first ones I've seen actually tackling what I think is the biggest issue for consumers and, and uh, cryptocurrency, which is losing your stuff, getting your stuff stolen. You know, one of the features of the blockchain is that once it's gone, it's gone. You can't get it back. Uh, so it's unclear to me if this company is doing asset uh, recovery for companies, for law enforcement, for consumers, or like all of the above. But they're, they're doing some kind of they're attempting some kind of asset recovery. And we know asset recovery is possible, especially when you get law enforcement involved, because if it's somewhere where the U.S. can still reach, you know, they, they can, you know, work with the uh, the exchange or wherever that cryptocurrency happens to be sitting. You know, if it goes straight into somebody's cold wallet, I don't think there's a ton that, that you can do. But if it's still sitting at an exchange, you know, maybe there's some opportunity to recover it and, and reverse well, that transaction. Isn't that what they say about crypto in the first place? If it's if it's at an exchange, it's not yours anyhow. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, if it's if it's not yours anyhow when it's sitting in an exchange, then how is how is a company that's recovers crypto from exchanges like so what? Couldn't the exchange just properly recover it for you? I don't know. Maybe this showing it's definitely showing my ignorance of crypto for sure. Like I definitely am not a pro in that area, but um, you know, I, I I'm not even sure um, how you would go about kind of tracking that back. It reminds me of the Wired article about um, some of the some of the the, the recent uh, drug kingpin that they caught in and Wired uh, Wired wrote up like a six piece article on it, and one of the ways that they caught them was tracking through the chain through the blockchain for uh, Bitcoin transactions using uh, was it chain chain analysis technology. Chain analysis. Yeah, so it is possible to track. It is possible to potentially pull back. And the question is, do you do it without, you know, how do you do it? And that that's what I would love to have somebody come on here, explain that to the show. That would be an amazing discussion. Somebody who could who could simplify how that all truly works. Yeah, it's it's uh, I think it's pretty simple to track it. It's just you need a, a company or an organization like Chainalysis to actually you know, have that giant database, you know, in, in that front end that allows you to query it, you know, to trace it to, you know, click here, click there, and and, and just easily follow things uh, or, or put together an investigation almost, like have an investigation platform that allows you to plug in, uh, you know, the, the the hashes and the the accounts that, that you're interested in, in researching. But, uh, and because it's anonymous, you know, there, there's details out there where you can figure out where you can de-anonymize it. You know, like, okay, this this wallet was used in this attack, you know, in this ransom letter. So we can tie those two things together. And we think we know which APT did that. So you need some kind of platform where you can start pulling all that stuff together when you do your investigation. 
and it's it's a uh, you know <laughs> all of a sudden yeah you can see how you can build a business around this but it seems like everything that makes crypto bad to use or, or results in, in negative outcomes uh, for, for businesses or individuals just kind of goes against the, the the core principles of it, which is to be decentralized, you know, to not depend on uh, on exchanges or, you know, any one control point for things. But <laughs> it, it, it's almost like an exercise in, in why something like this maybe hasn't been successful or been done before is because a lot of the solutions to those problems require you to then centralize stuff again and, and have to trust some big institution. Like maybe it's not a bank, but it's still you're trusting somebody to protect your stuff for you. Yep. Yep. Um, let's see. So the big one that popped up yesterday, it was late yesterday even, I think, uh, was a rumor. And I think it's it's more than a rumor at this point with uh, uh, Sumo Logic uh, being acquired by $1.7 billion. So I think that that's an official uh, offer, you know, that, uh, that uh, Sumo Logic investors will have to respond to. And uh, and I, I think the most notable thing here is I saw somebody mention that there's there's no premium, like they're they're offering to take it private for exactly what the the stock is at right mm. now. So that I don't so know why would if anybody that's, take uh, that? Why would anybody take that? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me unless they're considering that it, they think it's overvalued valued and about to dump. But in that case, you'd be selling anyway. So I'm, I don't understand how they could do it without a premium. I mean, the deal isn't closed, but yeah. um, but it, well, it seems maybe like... the expectation is that they expect it to go down from here, which would result in a premium before close. Yeah. So actually, in in most of January, it was half of almost half of where it, it's at now. It was seven dollars and something, and now it's up to twelve or you know somewhere around eleven, twelve a share. Um, so it's actually up from where it was at the beginning of twenty twenty three. Uh, but that's, by that's been the norm for all the high tech stuff this year, though. Oh, has um, January, February, they all found a base and have have rallied. Um, you know, the question is, will the rug pull occur and they come back crashing back down? But or is this the start of of the uptick throughout the remainder of the year is still to be determined. But yeah. I don't this know. story it's, to me uh, is mostly interesting, Adrian, because of the number of cyber take privates, right? Because you got Sumo Logic, we had yeah. Barracuda, we had Mimecast. Uh, we have um, Rapid7 exploring sales sources. Um, there was another one, too. No before got, was taken yep. private, if I recall correctly. Um, yep. What that means is people see an uptick value. We're, we're depressed. Cybersecurity valuations in the public markets are believed to be depressed by those in the know, right? Those that are um, large enough to make acquisitions of this caliber. And they're picking them up with the expectation if they hold for three years, they get a 50%, 70%, whatever bump on it, and then bring it back public again, right? So that's a usually a smart, a clear smart money indicator that we're near a bottom of the of the um, market. My, my concern with cybersecurity in public markets was always that because of the nature of cybersecurity, and, and this might just be because I'm in it, you know, and, th and this is just uh, me believing we're special, you know, when, when mm -hmm. maybe I should. 
But uh, my, my concern was always, you know, it seems like cybersecurity companies have to reinvent themselves uh, to to remain relevant and to, to stay in business. You know, like, like we, we saw what happened with NextGen AV and the, the uh, incumbents that didn't move quick enough. You know, the McAfee's and Symantec's got uh, dismantled and, you know, are, are a shadow of what they used to be. And all that happened very quickly. So I, I wonder if it's just not a good idea to take a, a security company public, you know, because like, look what happened to Facebook, you know, when Zuckerberg tried to do something drastic there, when he tried to get ahead of the market there. Um, <laughs> I think it was the, the wrong move, but like, you know, for the sake of argument, let's say it was the right move. And uh, and he got really beat up and punished in, in the public market for, for doing that. Yeah. And I, yeah, you know, I think, I think you could even just equate that to general general uh, uh, public companies, though, Adrian, because by the time they go public, uh, not not all of them, but the majority of them at public time, uh, you know, they still have a pretty significant growth rate on a pretty high high number, but they're in that phase of the maturity curve where they're starting to to peak to to slow their growth to turn into something that's uh, less of a massive growth company and more of a consistent grower, right? Or you wouldn't go public because if you're doing massive growth, you're going to still hold on to it. And so when that happens, you know, the reasonable growth rates that sit out there are natural. Okay, I can get X percent year over year pretty pretty consistently and regularly from a growth perspective. Now, the question that you bring up, though, is will innovation tear them down? And that's tough to know. Look at Palo Alto. How long has Palo Alto Networks been public? Quite a while now. And they've done well and continue to grow and, and you know, have done fairly well over time. And then others have gone out and just immediately came crashing down as something new and innovative comes out. But I think that's for software in general, all, all of the software companies. And that's one of the reasons why they haven't been IPOing at a rate um, comparably fast, um, you know, on a, on a, I guess it would be a number of deals versus number of total companies kind of ratio, right? It's kind of, it's gone down over the years. But Palo Alto point out Super. the Palo example too because you know they're obviously a big company and they've been successful pub in the public market so do you think that a lot of this has to do with scale and diversity because some of these companies sure. that are going private are a little more narrowly focused in the technologies that they offer the the products or the suites that they offer versus something like a Palo which is just you know huge yeah, 100%. You've nailed it, right? The ones that can diversify their product portfolio, make acquisitions, and pull in new markets that are innovating are the ones that will continue to grow at a higher, more substantial rate. Yeah, yeah. For uh, Palo Alto, I was just going to mention just the they've been super aggressive at uh, making acquisitions, you know, and, and mm -hmm. jumping into into new segments, even creating segments. You know, they claim to have created the XDR segment. And it's not always the right move, you know, McAfee and Symantec did plenty of acquisitions, but uh, I guess you can argue, you know, Palo Alto has been somewhat more successful at it, but they certainly knew they had to step away from, uh, from selling firewalls, you know, and expand beyond that. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, so, so we get into the, the companies who are having trouble here. It's kind of a, like a, a tale of, you know, two things that can kill you here, you know, two. Yeah. So, so let's talk about Siren first because they're, they've been around since 1991. 
I don't think they properly got into security until the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, they, they were creating, I think they had an email client at first. So they were doing uh, email hosting and, and building software email clients initially. And then they got into anti-spam and email security in general. And I, I don't think they ever made that move over to, like, if you look at the proof points and the mimecasts, you know, into uh, security awareness and anti-BEC and anti-phishing and stuff like that. And it was just like anti-spam. And, uh, you know, I think that it clearly looks like a case where they, they didn't uh, move with the market. They didn't innovate as much as they needed to to stay relevant. Yeah, I mean, it's just a sad story. You know, when I saw the news break that they were laying off the entire workforce, it was kind of a shock. I was like, wow, how could a company that was, you know, doing well enough to go out and, and become, I don't think it was, a, if I recall correctly, it was like a pink slip public, but that might be wrong. But, you know, even just to sell enough on the public market, um, go to zero. Like, you don't see that very often. The zero dumpster fire just is not, all that frequent of an occurrence once things have gone public, right? Because um, the oversight is there and people are able to actually move it forward. You know, you may see it slow growth, but let's 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 count that against BlackBerry. How long has BlackBerry been around? And they haven't gone to zero. They're still making money. They're still worth something. The stock is still yeah. worth something. But somehow Pivot. Siren managed to run it run it to the, directly into the ground. I mean, BlackBerry had a big public painful pivot. You know, like moving away from phones into enterprise software. You know, they acquired a company that does um, emergency announcements. Um, I, f I forget the name of it. You know, they acquired a company that does real-time operating systems that are used for car infotainment systems. Like, they they, they really pivoted <laughs> super hard. Enterprise software, security software, um, you know, and eventually shut down all the phones and, and, and all the phone stuff. And... You know, the, that couldn't have been easy for them, you know, to. But yet to they didn't go to zero. <laughs> no, they, they didn't, you know, because they I mean, they didn't react quickly enough to the market to to save their phone business, but they reacted quickly enough to, to save the business. So so sirens on the Nasdaq, by the way. Oh, are they? OK, I thought they were on like a, a, a UK no, page not, slip or something. Not penny stocks or anything. Yeah. Wow. It's just sad, you know, to see see people like that getting cut left and right. You know, 121 people were axed all at the same time, taking essentially their operational capability down to zero. Uh, their stock has come down. 98% of its peak value has been lost. And apparently, they sold a huge chunk of their business in August. So I don't I don't think it was completely a surprise to employees. Wow. Yeah. It, it it's a little sobering when I read that, and I wasn't familiar with the company. Um, but when you read something like that, and and given what's going on in the market with layoffs and these devaluations and down rounds and all, it, it's definitely a little bit of a sobering moment because, it, you know, as, as long as I've been in security, people in security have been talking about, hey, we're insulated and we're isolated and we're, you know, we're in a good spot because you'll always need cybersecurity with the way the world's going. And then to see a company effectively just shut its doors uh, after all this time, it, it's a little scary. 
Now, shifting to the other ones, uh, IronNet and DarkTrace, I, I think both of those were problematic for, for day one, but for different reasons. You know, so IronNet, I think it was more, and, and I'd love to hear your takes on this, but uh, from everything I've read, you know, founders coming out of uh, Autonomy, which was sold to HP, you know, which was deeply uh, problematic, Um you know, going into uh, starting a cybersecurity company, with some very questionable marketing, uh, you know, likening their product to, to a human uh, immune system, among other things. Whereas IronNet, I, th- I think it was more the growth strategy that, that kind of killed them, like, like going public via SPAC, you know, before maybe they had found market fit. It, it just seemed super early for them to, to try and go public uh, when, when they were still kind of grasping for what that product is even i I think we had somebody from ironnet on last year and i I went back and i looked at my notes and it was clear from my notes i didn't really understood understand what they did (laughs) uh yeah it's another sad story for sure um yeah i'm not sure what caused this one it's tough to know but uh the spec storyline is an an interesting storyline because last year or two years ago whenever the specs were hot and everybody was doing spec everything um you know everybody was talking about it and in the back of my head i knew it was kind of like well this is just the way to avoid the oversight of doing an ipo this is a way to go public without having to get any oversight and isn't inherently that just a dumb idea but that was in the back of my head as a very thought and i fell into well it's working. Everybody's getting all these facts, and there must be something right now. What it isn't doesn't create confidence. That's for sure. Like no, no S one. Like I don't get to see anything. <laughs> I'm just going to trust this. Uh, you know the the blank check company. I don't know about that. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe we'll see it come around again and actually be used properly. But clearly, the spec world is not what it once was. Yeah, and then um, you know, I, I think everybody, pretty much everybody, has a strong opinion about Darktrace. I remember back when I was still at four five one. Um, yeah, and you can throw up that graphic if you want to, Gus. This this is the right time and place to do it. But um, I tried to. I, I was basically given. I, I think this was the only time when I was at four five one research as an analyst when I was actually given uh, an order. You know, a, a project like like we want you to go find Dark Trace, figure out what the heck they're they're doing because nobody can nobody can figure this out. And uh, stood me up. There's the graphic. They, I love it. <laughs> they 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 stood me up on my. I, I went over to London for uh, info security for the info security conference, and uh, I, I don't I don't think they just no showed. I think they did cancel the meeting. They had some there's some excuse about traffic or something like that. But it's just par for the course for all the stories I've heard about Dark Trace. Where it's essentially Zeke, it's essentially NDR under the covers, you know. But with claims that just don't match up with what you can do with Zeke and, and NDR at all, you know, just way overblown. And and so this, you know, this company that's shorting, uh, you know, that this uh, firm, I I don't know what the right term is to to call these companies. I, is there a term for these companies that uh, that do this, Tyler? Is yeah, usually term? they're just—I mean—they're just very aggressive hedge funds that are 
you know, they mm-hmm. they essentially take a short position and then write up their reason why and publish it, right? And yeah. write it up as a research report, and it ends up pushing the stock down as people read it and learn about it. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, the accusations in this report, I don't know if you've read any of it, Tyler, but it's basically like fake sales, you know, fake revenue, like like faking a bunch of stuff, uh, um, having, uh, you know, shell companies uh, to, to help them fake the numbers and, and uh, uh, do some creative accounting. You know, if, if a quarter of the accusations in this report are, are true, you know, and, and apparently the the response to this, Dark Trace's response to this, didn't challenge any of the accusations. So, wow, yeah, that's we'll be watching thing. this one many times when these short reports come out. Uh, you have to look at the the source of the content, and it's biased, right? Obviously biased because they want the stock to go down because they've they've put a short position in play, and that is what's yeah. happening here. And generally, what happens is people discount it and say, "Okay, sure," but. This one's so overwhelming. There's so much here that, like you said, even if just one or two of the allegations are true, it's a massive issue, let alone the whole report. So it's it's a pretty scary situation. I think the dumpster fire graphic that still remains up there on the screen um, is probably fairly accurate. Yeah. All right. We, we, can, uh, we can move on. We'll dispense with the graphic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's see. Um, what's next? I, I just happened to run across Trend Micro the other day and saw that they created a whole subsidiary just for automotive cybersecurity, which uh, I think it was one, two episodes ago. We we had the like somebody, a group of hackers of like six or eight hackers had like hacked every car. Do Do you guys remember oh, that yeah. story? Yeah, that was just like, maybe a month ago. Yeah, after reading that story. Uh, yeah, I can see why Trend Micro would have a whole subsidiary, uh, and, and it's called Vic One, by the way, V I C O N E, dedicated to autom- automotive cybersecurity. There's just more and more lines of code being pumped into cars, especially as as we're getting closer and closer to, um, but never quite getting to self driving. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's going to be interesting with that self driving stuff. I I have been. I'm not a. Um, electric vehicle person or haven't been historically i'm generally i i like the sound of a roar of an engine right and have gotten cars that do that but i'm pretty excited about maybe getting one for testing out some of the self-driving side of it because i do think it's coming in the you know the next handful of years um i was reading something recently with the the tax um write-off stuff that you can do for an ev an electric vehicle and tesla lowering the prices so that that tax write-off seventy five hundred dollar deduction would work for their model threes people were snapping them up with fully the with the fully autonomous uh, driving package, um, with the idea that they're going to turn them into robo taxis, which I thought is a super yeah. interesting business idea. Literally, just buying a fleet of cars and putting them out on the street and having it make money while you sleep. Yeah, yeah. So there are businesses out there with the eventual goal of doing that. Now, Uber is one of them. So Uber invested in a whole self-driving car uh, like segment of their business. They had a huge investment in that. They tested it out, I think, somewhere in, in uh, uh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, I forget exactly where, if, if it was, I uh, forget which city in Pennsylvania. But, yeah, that's where, um, yeah, a bunch of uh, security people went up there uh, for that. And, uh, and, yeah, there are markets. There's a place in, again, I forget the name of the company, but there's a company somewhere in Arizona where you can, you can get self-driving car 
taxis. Yep. Well, uh, at Black Hat last year, I know a couple of people that hopped on hopped into Ubers that had nobody in the driver's seat. Yeah, and it took more than needed to go during Black Hat last year. Yeah, yeah, they've been testing it out in, in very isolated uh, in, in small markets. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it's 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 super interesting, and it's uh, it's going to need security people. So yeah, and I, and I, I know that the um, the food delivery, the, some of the bigger chain mm-hmm. restaurants that do food delivery are also very much looking into this because the costs are, you know, it's so much harder for them to make money on it now that gas is expensive, now that, you know, people don't want to work these jobs. Um, So they're looking into it, but, you know, on a, on a not very serious note, sure. You, if you're smart, you can just direct all the pizzas to your house with the pineapple and the bacon and then direct them mm. or direct them to Tyler's house. Um, but there, <laughs> but there are some serious repercussions if something were to go wrong, you know, what happens, you know, when these cars, because they're not there yet, they're definitely not there yet. What, what happens when these cars cause accidents? What, what happens when somebody gets killed because of a, a you know, autonomous, semi-autonomous vehicle, you know, causes damage to somebody's property. Yeah, there, there's so much that still needs to be worked out. I, I don't know if I agree that it's the next handful of years, but you know, certainly it's coming at some point. But, but well, I think there are so many issues, and it's not just from a cybersecurity point of view. Obviously, that that's concerning. Yeah. Um, but I think it's even bigger than this. And um, you know, the mandates to go all electric, or to at least have an electric line are there so 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 it's coming but as far as the actual you know cars driving around with people in them and the majority or even you know even 20 or 25 percent of the cars on the road can be autonomous i think we're a pretty long way away the Ooh, UK it sounds like we have to have it. a uh, it sounds like we have to have a little friendly gentleman gentleman slash gentlewoman analyst uh bet on this miss kt because i think it's going to be within the next five years I hope you're wrong. I hope you're wrong. I think we're so far away from them being reliable enough. But and don't you dare send any pineapple pizza to my house. I will be furious. (laughs) Oh, but you know I will. (laughs) In five years, if there's no, if we don't see commonly self-driving vehicles all over the road, I will eat on camera a pineapple pizza. There we go. What's the likelihood of either of us remembering this in five years? Zero. That's why I can say it and not worry about it. No, it's not zero because Adrian writes everything down. Adrian puts it in that system that emails you in five years and tells you the bet you made. If if I put it in my calendar, I'm going to do that right now. I'm going to put it in my personal calendar, not even my work calendar. Let's go. Personal calendar. (laughs) Yep. I'm doing it. 2028. I will stand behind that bet. So as far as electric cars go, not self-driving cars, but electric cars, I know that the UK has a moratorium set for 2030 that you can't sell uh, uh, passenger vehicles, I think, with uh, combustion engines after 2030. And a lot of of brands have said, we've designed our last uh, internal combustion engine. So, 
I, I, I think a lot of that's going too far because clearly we're still going to need diesel engines for a lot of stuff. You you can't operate a construction site, you know, that's say even twenty or thirty or fifty miles away from uh, civilization without a lot of diesel fuel, right? Yeah, you you know, it's funny. I um I'm currently leasing a a vehicle that that. This particular luxury vehicle vendor has declared that the model year that I have is the last year that it will be a fully combustible engine. Going forward, every vehicle they make will be at least hybrid, at a minimum. Um, and so I'm debating keeping the vehicle just for that reason alone, just to, because I think it could be worth something someday as the last vehicle of this particular brand. That's one of the reasons I picked up the car I got, is because I, mm-hmm. I think it's going to be one of the last um, like big combustion engine mm-hmm. with a shift because that's the other trend is is oh, away yeah, from free pedals so mm-hmm. you know i think i think the the value of that that car is just gonna go up and up as long as okay. i keep keep it in one piece yeah we'll give it to the kids someday <laughs> maybe maybe we'll see <laughs> um so hashicorp built a document management system on top of google workspace which, which i found kind of interesting because doesn't Google Workspace already have a document management system? So I started to to dig a little bit deeper into it, and I, I guess I kind of get it. Like it's it's more of like a version control system. Like I, I even know people that use things like GitHub, um, Bitbucket for document management because you know it's it, it's a lot easier to do some of that control. Like for example, you can deprecate a document, which is not something you can do with Dropbox or Google Drive right now, you know, which is, you know, documents get messy in an organization. So I guess I can see why why they built this, but it's called Hermes, hmm. which I believe is a messenger god. Isn't that the a version of Mercury? Like there's Mercury and Hermes or oh. the messenger gods? Well, Roman. Hermes is also a, an upscale clothing retailer, so probably not the best theme for a company because there's a very, very well-known established brand out there, but that's another issue. It's a name for it. So it's HashiCorp. It's the name of the product. But yeah, still, still you run into SEO issues. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I and, and the only reason I know that is because I used to use an email server, uh, a, a, an email uh, product called uh, Hermes. And that's why it was named as it delivers messages. There you go. All right. Uh, let's see. Layoffs. There were a ton of layoffs. I, I, I didn't even post them as, as separate uh, um, stories here. I just kind of compiled them all together. Uh, SecureWorks laid off 212 employees. NCC Group, 125. Okta, 300 employees. Iron, we talked about all their employees. Oxhunt, uh, which I hadn't heard of before, which is a Finnish company, I think. 29 employees that's looking to expand into the U.S. Uh, and Hermetic, 30 employees. So that's all in the past two weeks, I think, all those layoffs. Quite a bit. So I hope crazy. Tyler's right that we're nearing the bottom. Well, well, just to be abundantly clear, I wouldn't say we're nearing the bottom. I, I think we're, well, let me rephrase that. I think we're near the bottom, but that bottom is long. It's a long bottom before we start really going up. A long bottom. It'll stay flat for a while, is my point, before we start to really grow. Yeah. 
Oh, right. Yeah, there, uh, there are a lot of years to reverse damage from. Where, where are the fun questions? <laughs> where are the fun questions? Where's the uplifting stories here? Yeah, it's been, a, <laughs> been a, quite a dumpster fire week. Yeah, I mean, I'm just scrolling through some of the other ones. And, um, I mean, the CISO role going through an evolution, that, that's not a negative article. That's number 16. How to survive below the cybersecurity poverty line, number 17. That That's uh, fairly negative. <laughs> uh, you know, and then 19 and 20, the uh, all-in podcast basically predicted, well, it, not just them predicted, uh, they were discussing a tweet from Tom Lovero where he was predicting a mass extinction, uh, basically saying, like, think t 2008, except startups uh, taking most of the brunt uh, of uh, of that there. So, you know, a lot of startups and not not making it through this is the prediction. Did you, did you read that whole Tom Lovero thread? Is there any indication in that thread of why he feels that way? I'm going to posit a guess. I haven't read the whole thread. Is it because he feels that the entire um, – early stage investment market has been soured to those with significant money and it'll just, there's no way for kind of the startup space to raise anymore. Is that the thought process? The, the thought process is that the result of 2020, 2021, 2022, the first part of 2022, too many companies being set up to where they're going to need a cash infusion and won't be able to get it like a mm -hmm. large one. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I think so, that's based on a couple things. One, the fact that the fact that um, companies or the fact that the investors, the LPs that in, put the money into the venture capital yeah. firms have soured. They've just seen negative returns. They've gotten burned. They're they're not going to put any more in, and what's there will dry up fast. So, so it's it's really two things. It it it's the fact that these companies have been set up um, to grow fast to need funding uh, quicker. You know, that then it's going to be. Able Come for them, and more than will come for them. Uh, but also that there was a lot of due diligence just not happening when this money was going out. You know, so that that's another big thing that they touch on and they talk about in All In podcast is, uh, <laughs> hey, you, you know, VCs, uh, you know, the people deploying this capital are going to have to start doing a whole lot more due diligence than they have been in the past. Mm-hmm. So those those two things combined is is why he's predicting a mass mass extinction, and again, you know, security doesn't necessarily follow all startup trends, so you know we'll we'll, we'll see about that. Uh, we do have a fun one here though. Um, I th I think I'll throw it to to each of you. Uh, to you first, Tyler. Uh, you wrote a post in mid January about the fallacy of PLG, and uh, you know. Someone uh, popped into your DMs or something like that and said, uh, hey, I think you're full of crap and I'd like to write a retort to that. And they did. And you published it. <laughs> it's just funny how you put it. That's the best part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So first of all, let me apologize for any breaking up that my audio might be doing. Uh, Gus, if I end up dying here, just cut me off and uh, throw it over to Katie. But uh, yeah, I wrote a piece about, you know, what I consider the fallacy of PLG within cybersecurity and why it's a difficult delivery, a difficult uh, way of building a go-to-market. Um, and uh, um, Steve Lachance 
uh, he pinged me and I actually had a chance meeting with him at a bar and we talked about it and he pinged me. He's like, Hey, can I do a piece, you know, and write, write my counterpoint. And I said, you know what? I love that. I love it when we can have healthy discourse and healthy debate on a topic. And I said, absolutely. So I gave him the opportunity to do a, a clap back on how PLG product like growth is right for cybersecurity. And quite frankly, his points are excellent. Um, I think he's right. It's just that in my opinion, the, Number of companies that fit successful product-led growth capabilities within cybersecurity are pinpoint small. There's just not enough of them that are going to work. And so that's kind of the point that I was making, and he has some really interesting points to counter that. It's a good read. Well, doesn't this, Tyler, actually also go back to Adrian's point about the mass mass extinction, too, and the oversight? Doesn't some of that have to do with the fact that when money is free-flowing, when companies you know, feel flush with cash, you don't have to have as good a strategy because if you just have the right, you hit the right person at the right time with the right message, eh, the money's there. Okay. So it doesn't matter as much as when yeah. things get a little tighter, when budgets are tighter, when scrutiny is tighter, you have to have a better strategy and companies, at least for the past, I don't know, handful of years have been playing a little fast and loose because they could. Honestly, I think yeah, I love the um, I, I I read them both. I, I and, love and, I love the connection, Katie, um, between the two topics. Oh, I don't know who's talking here first, Adrian. My bad, but I love the uh, I love the connection of the two topics, Katie. You know, I don't know that they're um. <laughs> I might be dying. Yeah. If I'm dying, I'm sorry, guys. No, you're you're not. You're not. You were there. You just physically froze. Okay. Um, <laughs> I love the connection between the two topics. I think, um, Katie, you brought up a good point. When resources are infinite and money is free, you can make very risky decisions that may or may not work out for you and live live on to fight another day. And that could be driving some of the attempts at PLG, even though it's not the most natural fit for cybersecurity, for sure. I think you're right. The question is, if, if you do find the right one fit, you can actually do very well with PLG. And I think that's true. I do think that's true. Um, it's just that most cybersecurities don't fit that mold. Most cybersecurity companies don't fit that mold. So um, it's, he's just got some really good points. And, and Adrian, I apologize. I didn't hear your comments or question, questions. Yeah, my comment is very short and concise. Basically, I, I read both of the the essays, and, and I found they're both really saying the same thing. They're they're so you guys really agree. Like it, it's not so much of clapback. You're both saying uh, PLG is great when it makes sense. Yeah, but it yeah. doesn't always make sense. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yep. And next, I want to throw it over to you, Katie. Uh, you know, you you you've got a great post talking about how people can, uh, uh, specifically cybersecurity practitioners, can uh, can deal with the you know the the current layoff market. You know, can handle job uncertainty and position themselves well for success in in this kind of market. You know, again, this this comes back to the arguments being a bit of a dichotomy, right? Because on the one hand, we're seeing layoffs every day. You know, you just mentioned some great companies that are laying off a decent portion of their workforce. On the other hand, cybersecurity 
positions are still available. Maybe not as many as last year or the year before or five years ago, but the 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 need, the demand is still there. You know, it's it's still definitely there. But you can't be complacent. You know, when the purse strings get tighter, you have to demonstrate your value. You have to be on top of things. You can't be, you know, rolling in at 10 o'clock and then taking an hour lunch break. And, you know, all the things that not not in cybersecurity necessarily, but but in a lot of companies were being allowed to happen for years. You know, I think we've all worked with people who you're like, how does this person even have a job? They don't do anything. Um, so cyber, it's still hiring. You know, I look at the job boards and when, and when I've talked to people in hiring positions, both hiring managers and recruitment companies, they say, oh, yeah, sure. But the hiring market's a little screwed up as well, right? You know, it's 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 it doesn't work really well. They're trying to put automation into it in places that it doesn't work so well yet. Um, but if you're really conscientious, if you work your network, I don't mean work your network in a, in a negative way. I mean, really be a good worker, be easy to work with, or maybe even if you're not easy to work with, because some of us aren't easy to work with. But if you provide a lot of value, you, you can still put yourself in a good position. And, you know, my colleague Tanya, uh, who I actually knew outside of work before I knew her inside of a work situation, you know, she she counsels people all the time on look at what you're doing. Do you actually want to be doing it? Because if you go into an interview and you don't really want that job, they're going to know anyway, and you're not going to be happy and nothing's going to work out. Um, and we I, I hear a lot about cybersecurity. So that's something you have to consider as well. I love the name of her business. Yeah, she, we, we, she's pretty cool. She, um, you know, she's just starting up a, a one-woman show at this point, and you know, it's you know, she's doing great things for a lot of people. Uh, a mutual colleague of ours decided after speaking with her, God, I hate what I'm doing. I hate living in the Northeast. So she bought a house, no job, moved down to South Carolina, just all based on you know introspection she was able to do with Tanya and. Um, you know, now she's she's enjoying herself. I, I don't know if she's employed anymore, but she bought a house down uh, in South Carolina and it's much happier. Yeah, it's it's hard to get out of a rut sometimes. And it, it's just so easy to forget that, hey, there's other stuff out there you can be doing. You know, I got I got laid off in January and there's been no shortages uh, of jobs to accept. But for me, one of the biggest thing is, is talking to people like Tanya uh, you know, people who are kind of pseudo in the recruiter world or, or, or just people who are peers, um, you know, about the different opportunities out there. Because for me, being a generalist and having done so many different things, uh, just choosing what direction to point myself in and then put some energy in that direction, uh, you know, because indecision isn't going to get you anywhere. Right. Like <laughs> I can't like explore three different directions all at the same time, you know, it's, uh, I, I guess I could, but it, it probably wouldn't be a good, uh, um, you know, good way to spend my energy. No. And honestly, um, I've been laid off a couple of times and the immediate shock is overwhelming. Right. But after you breathe a little bit, it's actually refreshing because you go, wow, I didn't really want to be doing that anyway. Right. And this happened yeah. every time. Every single time, 
Yeah. Yep, I, I've been there too. Yeah, so that's a great read. That's uh, that's number twenty-two. Tyler's was number twenty-one. Uh, Katie's was number twenty-two. Uh, both great reads. And uh, yeah, Katie, yours yours was especially helpful to me <laughs> in my current situation. Well, I'm glad, and I am looking out for you. I keep looking to see if I can find anything, you know, in my LinkedIn travels. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. <laughs> All right, let's hit some squirrel stories and wrap this thing up. Um, I, I couldn't decide, so I've got three squirrel stories in there. <laughs> um, how about uh, how about maybe we just talk about one of them? Uh, what do you guys? Which one is most interesting to you? Twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven. We've got. I'm going to go I'll ahead and let KT pick because my computer is crashing, so I can't read them. Oh, okay, so I'll, I'll I'll read the titles while you decide. There's uh, Code Breakers decipher fit fifty plus Marys of Mary Queen of Scots uh, because they were apparently encoded in, in some kind of cipher. Uh, what if Google Calendar showed the cost of a meeting, uh, which is really just an image that somebody posted on. Uh, on Twitter, but man, uh, of images that are worth a thousand words, that that one's that one's worth a lot. And then there's sushi terrorists tamper with other diners conveyor belt sushi. <laughs> for me, I, I I don't know. The last two are really compelling for very different reasons. I love the idea of a, a calendar showing the cost of a meeting because. I've been struggling the last couple of months with the number of meetings on my calendar and, and actually getting my writing work done and, and getting, you know, the actual product marketing work done that I need to get done. And for this, for some reason, this week and next week are devoid of a lot of those meetings. And I feel so productive. I'm getting so much yeah. done. I got mm -hmm. an entire messaging doc done today, which would have taken me like four days last week. Right. So I love that idea. On the other hand, man, manipulating a sushi conveyor belt is pretty funny. Yeah. Well, it's, it's property. <laughs> I got to go with it. sushi conveyor belt. I have to. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. So sushi conveyor belt, basically people are capturing this on video, but people are like picking stuff up off the, so if, I, I've only been to one once I, I visited my sister in Dallas and we were talking about where to go for dinner, um, her and her um, her husband. And uh, and they have one of these places. They have a sushi conveyor belt place. And I had never been to one. So I was like, yeah, that sounds like a blast. Let, let, let's go do that. And so you can just take stuff off the conveyor belt for people who haven't been to one. And, uh, and it charges you for it. Um, or you can custom order stuff. And, and it'll come around on the conveyor belt just for you. Or in our case, there was actually a little robot that came by and delivered our, our drinks to us. Like a little Star Wars looking robot came by with a, you know, with a serving platter <laughs> with all our drinks on it. Uh, and apparently, like, as stuff is going by, people are just, like, licking the food, licking the dishes. <laughs> so it's so it's so awful. It's so awful. People oh. captured video of this. And, and as you can imagine... People are upset. <laughs> yeah, I, I can just imagine, you know, some sort of robot 
you know, you reach for your sake or your tamago and a robot reaches out and grabs it back. And you're like, but I wanted that. <laughs> yeah. So people also taking other people's stuff is also part of the trend. That's very sad. Wait, Tyler, hold on. Since you don't like pineapple on pizza, do you like sushi? Yes, I love sushi. I just don't like uh, conveyor belt sushi. Okay, just wanted to make sure. Because you don't like chocolate either. No, chocolate's gross. Sushi is amazing. It's fantastic stuff. There's a security angle here because this is this is a system. The conveyor belt sushi <laughs> trot uh, relies heavily on trust, right? Everyone can access that conveyor belt, and that's basically what's being demonstrated here. Is you know, if we want to throw this thing into anarchy, all it takes is one customer to throw the whole system, the whole way that the restaurant operates, into anarchy. And, and we've seen this before uh, with the internet, like like the time that. Um, I'm going to blank on his name, but the, that one guy found all the open printer ports in the world and sent Nazi propaganda to it mm. and, and started printing out Nazi propaganda on any, on any raw jet direct port he could find exposed to the Internet. And universities everywhere had Nazi propaganda printing on it. So, yeah, it only takes one person to throw a heavily trust-based system uh, like the way universities uh, set up their networks into complete chaos and anarchy. I just had a vision of robots making the sushi and putting way too much wasabi Ooh. in sushi and really pissing off diners. Wasabi hack. <laughs> oh, God. Tyler probably loves that idea. He's probably thinking about how to do it. No, you know, it's totally funny because I love wasabi. Uh, like, I would, if you overloaded my wasabi, I'd be fine. <laughs> All right. Um, unless you want to talk about the calendar one a bit, which uh, honestly was my favorite. Uh, we, we could wrap here. No, I don't want to talk about the calendar one. I'll tell you specifically why, because it would be so depressing to see the amount of hours that, that get wasted in meetings. It would. It would. So, yeah, you, uh, for those listening, you'll have to go check out the show notes. Uh, I highly recommend checking it out. Uh, it's very visually powerful, uh, th- this image of uh, applying actual dollar costs of a meeting uh, to, to a Google Calendar entry to, uh, to tell you how much that meeting is costing the company. That's a really cool one. Um, or depressing, uh, as, as Tyler Depends on your perspective. <laughs> <laughs> it might help you uh, push just this image alone. Uh, I plan on using in the future uh, as a strategy to push back on on having frivolous meetings. So love it. Be useful to you. <laughs> Thanks so much, uh, Tyler. Working through your internet issues, sticking with us today. Thank you, Katie. Thank, thank you as always, Adrian. And a big thanks to everyone for watching or listening to this week's episode of Enterprise Security Weekly. We've got a great episode next week. Don't miss it. We'll be talking to, with Space Rogue about his new book. See you then.